Thanks for checking out the weekly Harmony Church podcast. For more information and resources about Harmony Church or any of the Harmony events, check out the Harmony Church website or Harmony Church Facebook page today. So I'm really honored to be able to spend this time with you and pray that there's some things that really help connect with where you're at and that uh, empower who uh, your life is in Jesus. And so uh, last night, we kind of started with uh, a whole kind of package deal. And so if you want to listen or watch what happened last night, I think they'll be able to, uh, you'll be able to access that and purchase it. I don't know how they're doing it, but this, it's going to be online. And so you guys can find out about that. And because it kind of all goes together, uh, we're unpacking Matthew chapter 10. If you go in your Bibles over to there, and I'm going to try to do segments where we take a little bit of a break between them and see if I can trust you with a break or not. If you, if you, are, <laughs> if you take too long in your breaks, then we'll just skip the others. Just kidding. But we'll try to give you guys some stretch breaks along the way. And I just have uh, a few different segments. And this is all going on a journey together all the way into uh, tonight. And so tonight isn't separate. This, it kind of goes all the way and builds on each other. And so uh, we, we're looking at Matthew chapter 10. and verse 1, it says, Jesus called his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Then he names who those people are. Skip down to verse 5. And these 12, he sent them out and he gave them some instructions. He said, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the town of the Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And everybody say Israel. I'm going to come back to this for this session. And proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. And so that we're trying to unpack these. And so last night, I looked at the importance of receiving. He said he gave them something. And later, we're going to get into uh, receiving power and receiving a, an encounter with the Holy Spirit. That's, going to, that's really central to the gospel and central to evangelism as well. Uh, but we're going to go into receiving that. Last night, we talked about how they walked with love. God is love. And so they walked, they received Jesus in their lives. They walked with him and they received from him. And our, our invitation is to represent Jesus, to be a witness of Jesus, right? Yeah. And it's very challenging to represent love if you haven't received it. Yeah. There are people that do evangelism out of principle and out, out of ideas and out of obedience, But people don't just receive what we say, they receive what we carry. And so if you want to represent love, then you need to receive it. Because you're not inviting people into an institution. You're inviting them into a relationship. And so we wanted to focus last night on being able to receive love so we have something to give away. And we want to stay, Jesus said, stay connected to the vine. Stay receiving that nutrient. Stay receiving his value for you. Stay receiving his love for you. And then you have fruit automatically comes out of that. If you're in love with someone, you want to tell everybody about that person. And if you want to be the best evangelist, if you want to see people come to Christ, fall in love with Jesus. Receive his love. The more you're enamored with him, the more you can't help but talk about him. And you're not trying to be religious. You're not trying to do a, a spiritual discipline. You're just telling about your love. We're not called to be employees of heaven. We're called to be lovers. 
And so we just focused on that tonight. And here in this session, uh, I want to start building off, off of that. I'm not going to go back into that. We're going to build and move on to some other things in this passage. But I want you to understand my heart and as we move forward here, that this is evangelism is talking, is telling, is in, in bringing people to encounter the lover of their souls, the one who, who, the, the one who died for them because he didn't want to live without them. You see, some people, they're told that Jesus died for them because they're a sinner. If you ask people, why did Jesus die for you? Because I'm a sinner. Let me, let me make a tweak to that. Jesus didn't die for you because you're a sinner. He died for you because you weren't created to be a sinner. There's a difference. He died for you because of your value to him, not because of what you did to him. It took him to get through what happened in your life to be able to get to you, but you are his goal. He wants you. It does not say God was so angry at the world that he sent his only begotten son. It wasn't anger that sent Jesus to the cross. It was love. He's absolutely crazy in love with people. And so we receive that love, then we can see people as those that are loved so dearly. And we can give that. We've got to get this right. And what we're looking at in this session is going to, I'm going to tie into that a little bit and build off of it. But in this session, it says here, Jesus sent them out and he sent them to a people and he gave them a message. We need to get the message right. We've got to get what, how do you know if you're, if you're sharing about Jesus with people, how do you know you're sharing the right thing? See, Jesus said here, go out. And he said, go the, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim to them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He gave them a message. Everybody say message. Yes. He gave them a message to say, and it was go out and tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, this is important to understand the context of this. We get a little technical with you for a second, but hold on because we got to make sure that we have the right message and it relates to our context. Because in his context, he said, don't go to the Gentiles. And he said, don't go to the Samaritans, go to Israel, go to these people and say this message to them. And the reason he said to say this message to them was because they would understand what they were talking, what, what they were saying. You see, in their context, they were looking for a kingdom to come. They were familiar with prophecy. In the Old Testament, there was a, an unpacking of a dream that had these kingdoms in it. And it said, there's going to be this kingdom. And then next there's going to be this kingdom. It's found in the book of Daniel. Next after this is going to be this kingdom. And then there's going to, it goes all the way down to the feet and toes. You guys know the story, right? And so he, he gets down to that and says, then when that happens, there's going to be a stone that's not cut by human hands. This right here is, it's imagery that the Holy Spirit is communicating about Jesus right here because it's a stone. The stone is earthly, but not cut with human hands is divine. 100% God, 100% man. He was talking about here are the kingdoms, but there's another one coming. This stone, within the context, there, it, it was saying there was something coming from God that was him and human, that was earthly and divine, and was going to come and strike down on the kingdoms of this world that have been established, and it's going to destroy those and grow and expand throughout the whole world. It was the kingdom of God. 
And so the people of his time were looking for another kingdom. Now, they didn't understand it was also going to be a spiritual kingdom. They thought the Messiah was going to come and be a political leader that threw off whoever happened to be over them in the moment. He didn't know, they didn't know that God's heart was actually for the nations and not just for them. They didn't under, quite get that in that moment. And so their eyes weren't in the right place. But he had been communicating this in code for many years. That's why the New Testament said this is a mystery. It's put in a mystery on purpose. Because if you are in a war with someone, you don't tell them your plans. So God didn't speak plain because there was an enemy. So he spoke in code, and that's why the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 2 said this is a mystery. It's been a mystery. Now it's revealed. The enemy lost. He didn't get it. <laughs> Jesus came and he won. Right? And so when we're looking at this, he sent them with a message to people who would understand what he was saying to them. Don't go to the Gentiles because in Daniel it says, I have designated a certain amount of time for these people. And Jesus was living under the prophetic mandate that, was, that Daniel prophesied about. And it wasn't until that mandate was fulfilled that the Gentiles could be reached out to. God's heart was always for the world. That's why it says God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. His heart was always for the world. That's why he said that to, to Abram, he said, I'm gonna bless you, I'm gonna make you a blessing to the nations. His heart was always for the nations every time. But he started somewhere. Every, almost everything God does starts in seed form. That's why you don't wanna despise small beginnings because almost everything starts small. Almost everything God does starts in seed form and if you water it, it'll grow. Okay, and so it happened this way with the gospel. The gospel came in seed form. It came into one place. And he said the gospel was going to come, the kingdom, this stone not cut by human hands was going to come and hit the kingdom of this world and it was going to grow and expand throughout all the world, all the way to the ends of the earth, as Gideon likes to say. We are those people. That's what he told me yesterday. He said, we're the ends of the earth. And so I love that. The gospel has grown and gone all the way to New Zealand. Hallelujah. So good. And... Uh, We've got to understand the context. We've got to understand what we're supposed to say. Because what's happened is that we've been told different messages about salvation. Everybody say saved. And so we've done, we've taken pieces of scripture out and we've designed all kind, in my opinion, of kind of convoluted ways of bringing people into an encounter with Jesus for them to be saved. And I might mess with you here, and I apologize if I do. I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to clear away some of the cobwebs so that if you're ministering to somebody, how can you know the bare bones? If I give, if what, am I, what do I need to give somebody to know that I'm giving them the best platform to start a Christian life with? That's what I want to give you, okay? But I need to wrestle with some of the ideas that we've been taught because some of the things we've missed the message, not that, it's, that they're bad things to say, but we have the most important message that the world ever needs to hear. And what we've done to find the message is we've gone all over the New Testament and picked this verse out and this verse out and this verse out and this verse out, strung them together. And I thought, well, dear God, if this is like the most important message, why can't we find it plain in the Bible? And we have to go through the whole thing and string all these places together and make it, this is right here is all the things you have to do. But you know, I found it actually is in the Bible. Okay. Now you got to pay attention to see if I'm a heretic or not. <laughs> Welcome to session two. All right, so I have found that there are basically three ways that uh, people have been taught to share the gospel. I've had a passion for the law since I was a child. The Lord broke my heart for those that don't know Jesus. It's just a sovereign thing 
You know, I, let me just say this about sovereignty. Many times sovereignty is used as the reason why something good doesn't happen. But I like to see sovereignty used as the reason why something good does happen to someone who doesn't deserve it. So it's just a sovereign thing. The mercy of God, he broke my heart for the lost, not because I was extra spiritual, not because I deserved it and had some kind of spiritual pedigree that designed for that. It was just his mercy. And I would weep for the lost. It's very easy for me to weep for the lost even till today. And because of that, I began to pursue leading people to Jesus the best that I knew how and, and going after learning from other people like we all do when we don't want to learn about things. And I, I would do things where I, I preached to my friends the best that I knew how. I remember being a child about six years old and my friend had a clubhouse outside and we, I would go stand on a milk crate and my friends would sit on milk crates in front of me and I would preach. I would open my Bible and wag my finger at them and do my best to preach preached to my friends that were there. And, you know, one day a friend of mine decided to not come to church and uh, he decided to play outside the church. And I had righteous indignation come in my little six-year-old heart. And so I left. I got off of my pulpit that I was standing on, went outside. And for some reason, the, there was a bow and arrow laying on the ground. I don't know why, but there was. And so I picked it up and he was running, playing around. And I pulled back the string. This is a real, it's not like a Nerf one. This is like a real bow and arrow. That was kid size, but it was a real one. And I'm like, I let it go. Thankfully, he had fast reflexes because it just skinned his stomach. Like it cut him, but just skinned his stomach. And, uh, you know, he never missed church again. <laughs> Don't get up and leave. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Maybe. But... My point is my heart was for the gospel. I did, I, I went door to door. I went staying on street corners. I chased people down. I gave out tracts. I did, listen to this, all, I, I know the, the best kept secrets and, you know, all the, the, you know, master plans and, you know, all the different trainings, the, the four laws. I, I got a degree in evangelism in Bible college. I did anything I could do to be around evangelism because I just want to lead people to Jesus. Whatever it looks like, just tell me, what am I supposed to do? And in that process, I saw a lot of people come to Christ. And I saw a lot of people leave Christ. I remember one day I, I read the book of Revelation to a friend. And I said to him, if you don't know Jesus, all this stuff's going to happen to you. And he got saved for about two weeks. So I encountered things like this again and again, and I said, God, there's got to be another way. People started coining this phrase that was called counterfeit conversions, and it was where people would say a prayer, but then their life didn't back it up, and years later, you're following, they're not a part of a church, they're not spending time with Jesus. They're, the fruit of their life, you would never know that they had actually said a prayer to give their life to Jesus, right? And so I said, God, there's got to be another way. There's got to be a thing where we're not giving them the right thing that they can build a Christian life off of. And I, I began to prayerfully look at the things I've been taught and asking the Holy Spirit to teach me. And I want to give to you some of the things I've been taught and hopefully some things that um, will help you be able to give the bare bones. If you're talking to someone, you got to remember that we got to understand the context. If you go to Acts 17, I'm not doing it now, but you'll find the Apostle Paul was not with the Jews. He was with the Gentiles, and he packaged how he presented the gospel in a completely different way. And we need to understand that. 
We've got to have wisdom, and we've got to understand the message that we're supposed to communicate, all right? So here's some of the ways I've been taught. You guys ready? Yeah. One example people generally have been taught is a, an eternity-focused gospel. On a personal level, it, what it means is you've been taught to go to someone and to say, hey, I have a question for you. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven or hell? Okay, I've done that. And uh, if I also did a lot of preaching. I told you I started preaching when I was 16. And so I did a lot, of, uh, a, a lot of preaching in various environments. And I would see like half the people there running up to the front, weeping and crying out to God. It was powerful. It was a good time. Uh, and I still, I, I love preaching the gospel. I love seeing people come, come to Christ. But I've incorporated some of these along the way with those as well. And so if, if I were preaching in a place and I was emphasized on an eternity focused gospel, if I was in that environment, I might do something kind of like this. Listen, everybody, I want to tell you today that you're not promised tomorrow. I want you to know the next breath that you have is not guaranteed. You can leave from this building. You can leave from this place and get in a car accident. You can lose your last breath. You can get in a, you can get in a, a place where you have a heart attack. You can have a disease. You can have something that can come against you. I want you to know today that tomorrow is not guaranteed. Are you ready for eternity? Are you ready to stand before the king who died for you? Are you ready to look at Jesus who had crowns of thorns on his head and blood coming down his face and he died on the cross for you. Are you ready to see the king? Because now's the time to make the decision. Now's the time to stop playing games with your life. Now's the time to stop pretending that you're not going to die. Now's the time to stop putting off eternity because eternity might be running to you. It's time to get ready for the end because it's coming your way. Are you ready to know him? Are you ready to face him? Are you ready to see your judge? Because now's the time to put a line in the sand and to make a decision. I'm not playing games with God anymore. I want him to be the Lord of my life so that if I enter into an eternity, at any moment, I'm ready to see God. I'm ready to see Jesus. In just a moment, I'm gonna count to three. And if you're not saved and you need to get right with God, this is your time to get right with God. Listen, I wanna tell you today that the girl next to you is not good looking enough to go to hell over. Right now is a time to get right with God. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. Don't put off, this This is a decision for now. The Bible says, now is the day to get saved. And let me tell you today, I'm gonna count to three. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Now is the time to get right with God. One, two, three. Raise your hands if you need to get right with God. Come on. I might say something like that. And maybe you've heard some sermons like that along the way. There are many people that believe that's what an evangelistic sermon sounds like. It's not... It's not false, but here's the thing. I didn't find Jesus threaten people with eternity. And I think Jesus did it right. If we really want to look at what we're supposed to share, we need to look at Jesus. It's not that something was false. It's that we've been taught to emphasize an area that Jesus didn't. And if we overemphasize the area that Jesus didn't, we won't introduce them to God on a platform that Jesus did. Yeah. We want to introduce God on the platform that Jesus did. It's really important. I'm talking about, now, let me say this. Have there been people that had genuine conversions that way? Absolutely. Absolutely. And here's the reason I believe that. Jesus told this story of the prodigal son. You guys know the story, right? 
The younger brother goes out, loses everything, comes back home. You know, we got songs about the father runs to him, and he ran to me. You know, and, he, and the father embraced him and restored him, all that kind of stuff, right? Well, here's the thing I find many people have missed in this. Many times it's commu- that story is communicated as what it looks like to repent. Turn around and go the other way, okay? Actually, conversion means to turn around and go the other way. Repent means to change the way you think, okay? Repenting will lead to conversion, but we've, we've, we've messed up the words. So this what, what happens, people missing this story, is that the younger son did not repent. The Bible says in this story, the younger brother got hungry. He was feeding himself with the food from the pigs, wanting to eat that. He had lost everything, and then he remembered that his father was good to his servants. He was hungry, so he made up a speech. It does not say he came to himself and realized he was a jerk, and he felt bad for how he treated his father. Right? It didn't say that. It says he came to himself and realized the father was good to his servants. Maybe I can be one of those. Why? Because I'm hungry. It had nothing to do with the honor of the father and everything to do with his own need. And here's a beautiful thing. He came to the father for the wrong reason. He didn't come to him out of honor for his father. He didn't come to him in repentance. He didn't come to him asking for forgiveness. He didn't come to him to honor the family in any way. He came to try to get a meal for himself because he lost. The only reason he came to the father is because he lost everything himself. He came to the end of himself. If he still had stuff, he didn't return to the father before he lost everything himself. He came because he was in need of something. And the father still took him. This is why I think people have had genuine conversions no matter what the gospel has been packaged in. If they come to him, he will accept them. He's more eager about people coming to him than we are. So maybe you came to Christ based off of a thread of eternity. That's okay. You came. He'll wrap his arms around you. Why didn't the father let him finish his speech? Because it wasn't real. He was just hungry. There are people that come to Christ out of a fear of going to hell. That's not the best. Let me start this relationship off with God out of fear that you're going to throw me in hell. And now you want to tell me that you love me and to come close. Why are so many Christians distant from God? Because they're scared of him. You take one wrong step, and it'll kick you out, okay? That's why I don't think it's the best foundation. Another way that we've been taught, you guys okay? I'm going to mess with you a little bit. (laughs) The other way we've been taught to present the gospel. Now, I haven't run this by Pastor Gideon, so he can correct when I'm gone, tell you how heretical I am. So this is another one is sin-focused. Uh-oh. Okay. Here's how we... If I'm doing personal evangelism and it's sin-focused gospel, it goes something like this. Excuse me. I have a quick question for you. Have you ever sinned before? Have you ever what? You know, like stolen something. I don't know. No. Even like a pen from your office. Maybe. You know what the Bible says about that? You're a thief. That pen just cost you your soul. 
You are a sinner in the hands of an angry God. And you deserve to go to hell. But you don't have to. Today, for a cheap price. For free, you can give your life to Jesus. And he can forgive you. You horrible, awful, dirty, yucky sinner. You need help knowing other sins? I can help you out. I can go through at least 10 of them. I know you broke all 10, but, you know, I can give you more. I've made up more things that are bad, too. I can prove to you that you are a sinner and you deserve to go to hell. Do you want to go there? No. All right. Well, let's pray. Let's ask Jesus to be my Savior. Now, here's what we've done in America. I don't know about here, but in America, we've made Jesus about being a Savior and that we add lordship on later. I'm going to get back to that in a minute because that's a mistake. That's a bad foundation to start on. Is it true? Yes. But again, if you think about the whole pie, we want to emphasize what Jesus did to give the best foundation. Jesus did come as a Savior of the world, but that's not how they start a relationship with him. So when it's sin-focused, we try, we make it our job to convince somebody that they're a sinner. We've learned really good how to do that and back people into a corner. If I were preaching a message that was sin-focused, which I have, I might do something like this. Friends, I want to listen. I want you to listen for just a moment because God is walking up and down the aisles right now and he's got a checklist. He knows everything you've done behind closed doors. He knows your heart. He knows your motives. He knows where you've been at. He knows the things that you wish no one else would find out about it. And I want you to know today, he does not kiss sin. He is not snuggling up to you. He sees that and he's angry. He hates sin. He hates the way you've lived. And it's time to stop sinning against God. It's time to decide that you need to be holy. And there's only one person that can say, you. There's only one person that can forgive you. You deserve to go to hell. Do you know how horrible you are? Do you know how evil you are? You are an evil, awful person and it's time today to meet true love. It's time today to meet the one who died for you. It's time today to meet the one who says, I can forgive you because you are a sinner and he has seen it. Don't pretend you that you haven't because I know every one of you have blown it. You're all horrible sinners but now is the time that you can get things right with God. I might say something like that. The sin-focused gospel is very prevalent in the Western church. I don't know about here. Very prevalent. Here too? Okay. Now, the problem I have with it is it makes Christianity about God being our heavenly employer and we're coming in for job evaluations. Christianity is about a list of things to do and not do. And so if you don't do enough, then you've made Father angry. You've made your employer mad. You might get a demotion. You haven't pleased him. You might not get the promotion. Maybe he won't answer your prayers. Maybe he won't want you anymore. It becomes a merit-based foundation of fear and intimidation. Now, can I find scriptures? Sure. 
But the truth is you can make the Bible say anything you want it to. Just because you can find a verse about it doesn't mean you're taking the Bible holistically and bringing the truth of, of God's heart in it. We've got to make sure that we interpret Scripture correctly. And when it's come to evangelism, people found Scripture scattered throughout places, pulled them out, and then said, this is what the gospel is. And I don't see Jesus threatening people with sin to try to prove they need the Father. Jesus did it right. Jesus had opportunities to. Woman caught in the act of adultery. Where's the guy? I don't know. It's another story. But she's thrown down at his feet. She is not asking for forgiveness. She was brought there without her will, without her, without her volition. She was thrown at his feet. And Jesus forgave her, right? He forgave someone who wasn't asking for it. There was a guy who was paralyzed. His friends thought it would be a good idea to rip the roof off of somebody's house and drop him down in front of Jesus. You guys know the story. Jesus looked at the guy and said, I forgive you. For all we know, the guy didn't want to be there in the first place. But he's paralyzed and couldn't do anything about it. Because the Bible says, seeing their faith, not his. It says, seeing their faith. I don't know many people that have serious issues that want to be the center of attention. Can you imagine somebody teaching and all of a sudden the roof starts coming off? That's what happened. A packed house, the roof starts coming off. And here's this guy lower down. Maybe he's embarrassed. Jesus sees their faith. And Jesus demonstrated his divinity. Everybody say divinity. There are some people that say that Jesus didn't say that he was God. That's another topic, but I want to just point it out because I'm here. Jesus didn't just point out that he was divine. He lived it. Okay? When you are somebody, you don't have to prove you are. You just be you. So Jesus didn't walk around trying to prove who he was. He just was him. And so he looked at a person and he said, I forgive you. And that's why they started flipping out because they said, only God can forgive sins. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jesus proved his divinity in that moment because if Gideon sinned against me, it would be completely reasonable for me to forgive him. But if somebody else sinned against Gideon and then I walked up and said, I forgive you, that doesn't make any sense. That's right. See, the fact that Jesus could forgive somebody's sins who did not personally sin against him was proving his divinity, or at least the way that he thought about himself. Yeah. Jesus lived his divinity and proved it again and again. Jesus proved in, in how he lived. That's just a side note. But here, Jesus forgave this guy who wasn't asking for it. I don't see Jesus threatening people with sin as a focus. He didn't walk up to people and say, have you broken the Ten Commandments? Just a thought. You say, yeah, but isn't the law designed to bring us to Jesus? I can find verses too. Okay? Think about who was being talked to there. The law was a holding place to show their need for a Savior. It wasn't the place of how the gospel was to go to the whole world. That was for the Jewish people. Make sure we read the Bible within its context. That's why Jesus said, go to the lost house, the lost sheep of Israel. Keep it in context. You guys okay? Another way the gospel is presented is betterment, life betterment. 
Life betterment is where somebody's having some kind of difficulty, they're addicted to drugs, their marriage is falling apart, something like that, where there's some type of issue, and you say, you know what? Jesus can help your marriage. Try him out. I've even heard people say, you have money problems? Try going to church and paying tithe for a little while and see if you'll have an increase in your life. They're not even saved. It's a life betterment plan. You're addicted to drugs? Jesus can help you. All right. Can he? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Has he? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. But the same thing I said before, just because we have testimonies of something happening doesn't mean it's God's best. Jesus didn't say, come and give me a try. Follow me for a little bit. He let people be around him without being committed to him, right? He did. But he didn't say, come and follow me for a few days and see if it'll work out for you. He said to the, he said to the rich young ruler, sell everything you got and then follow me. If you really want it, you can be around me. You can go to church and not know Jesus. You can be around Christians. You need to. But if you want to follow Jesus, it's not a 90-day guarantee. It's not a try them out, taste, and see if you like them or not. If you're going to follow Jesus, it's not a... See, here's a problem with life betterment gospel. It places me in a position of serving God to better me. And so if I serve God to better my life, now I'm entitled to him doing something for me. And if he doesn't come through in the way that I want him to, now I have a right to leave him. Because I came to you so that you would help me. You're not helping me the way I want you to. I'm out of here. This is not let's make a deal. This is surrender all of who you are to him. If I were preaching this, I might say something like, friends, I want to tell you today that we serve a good God. And the Bible tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Some of you here just need to taste him. You just need to take a sample of Jesus. He's sweeter than honey on your lips. And if you try him out today, listen, try him out for 90 days. If you don't like him, I'll take him back. I'm ready to take Jesus because he's blessed me. And he'll bless you. You got a problem in your marriage? Jesus is your answer. You got addictions in your life? Jesus is the answer. Give him a try today. Give him a little bit of your life. And if he does well in that, then give him some more. Do you hear the twist in it? There's a twist there. Are there things in it true? Absolutely. Just in everything I've shared with you, you can think of Scripture, so can I. It's true, but it's, something's just not right. And that's because we've missed the message. And it's because salvation is so holistic. What we've done is we've focused on a part. If you think about it like a pie, we've focused on a piece of the pie and we've made it the whole thing. Because salvation covers every area of life. As a matter of fact, the word salvation, the word, so, the word saved comes from the word sozo. If you have a strong accordance, you can find it at number 4982 for those who like to take notes. And it means to save, deliver, protect, heal, preserve, do well, and be or make whole. That's what it means to be saved. Now, some people make the mistake and apply the word sozo or saved anywhere you see that and apply the whole definition to every single time you see it in the Bible, and I think that's a mistake. That would be like if English 
was a dead language and somebody found uh, a, a scrap of paper that had every word for how love is defined. And then later they found another scrap of paper where somebody said they loved their dog. And they tried to apply every single word, every single definition of love to loving a dog. You would get some weird stuff. So I think there, there, you know, there's places in the Bible where it says Jesus healed a person and it says he sozoed them. Your faith has made you sozo. It doesn't mean that they had eternal life in the moment. That's because there are multiple definitions or multiple aspects to sozo. It's because God came to make the world whole. In every area, that's why every part of somebody's life matters, not just their eternal destination. And let me say this. Some people need to experience sozo before they enter into sozo. Some people need to experience what is encompassed in salvation, the wholeness of God touching their life, before they enter into the full thing. So that's why some people experience some of these things and they have a genuine conversion. They experience some level of transformation, some level of touch, and then maybe they want to give their life to Jesus. All right? I want to give to you what I believe is the bare bones communication that we need to have. Are you guys okay? We're going to take a break after this, but I, want, I couldn't just give this to you. I've got to, I've got to clear away some of the cobwebs and get you thinking a little bit. Because some of us are like, I don't want to share the gospel because what it looks like is me handing a tract to somebody and say, here you are, here's heaven, there's a, a, calves, a cavern between you two, you deserve to fall down in this pit and go to hell and Jesus is your bridge. You don't think you'll fall down there? I can prove it. Eternity can happen any moment and you're a sinner. So down you go. And there are people that are like, I'm not going to share Jesus that way. And so they don't. Okay? I'm here to activate you to share Jesus. So I have to take away some of those things. You don't disagree, if you disagree with me, do what you want to do. I'm not going to stop you. Okay? I'm just telling you my opinion because I was invited here and I have the microphone. I have, I have witnessed the multiple thousands of people on the streets, not just, not just from a platform. And I can tell you, these are the things that people are, are told. And the hardest people to lead to Christ are Christians. <laughs> there are people that have encountered another Christian and they said the prayer because they didn't want to go to hell. They said the prayer because they knew they were an awful sinner. They said the prayer because they did need their life better. But they didn't really give their life to Jesus. This right here is key. There, there are two things I found really important to get the message right. One is the importance of belief. Everybody say belief. This is huge. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, those who confess Jesus as Lord and believe, everybody say believe, believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. And everyone who receives him, he gives the power to become sons of God, to become children of God. To those who call out on the name of the Lord, then they will be saved. All these are connected with belief. And what we've done as a church is we have become masters at convincing people they deserve to go to hell. But we need to pick up the importance of having an environment where they can believe. John 3.16, maybe you heard it somewhere. 
God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes, believes, those are the ones who save. Just because somebody doesn't want to go to hell doesn't mean they believe in him. Because belief looks like something. Belief, we need to get this, this is connected with a second point. We need to make sure that we have belief. I'm going to get into this when it comes to power in another, in another session here because this belief is directly related to power. And I'm going to tell you why. It's really funny. It's really fun too. So, but belief, I'm going to come back to that later. Belief is really important. The second key connected with this is to get the message right, we need to have the right destination. We need to understand the importance of belief and we need to, what are, what are we inviting them to? Most of our stuff that we've been taught is we're inviting them away from something. It's not really being invited to something. Okay? Jesus said, in him is eternal life. And eternal life is knowing the Father and knowing the Son. He is our destination. And into his kingdom, remember the gospel of the kingdom? Into his kingdom to the king is our destination. We've got, to get the, we've got to get the destination right. It's relationship with a king who is your father. Okay, let me, let me put it this way. The word gospel means good news. So it's the good news about the good rule of God. His kingdom is his domain. It's where the king is in rule. You're invited to switch kingdoms. You're in the kingdom of darkness. You're invited to the kingdom of the sun. You're switching kingdoms. Now, I'm, I'm saying it this way, biblical terminology, but I, I need to translate it for you because just as Jesus sent them to the house of Israel with a message they would understand, we need to engage our community with the message that they would understand. If we go to them and we say, Jesus has sent me to proclaim the good news of the gospel of the kingdom to you, they would be like, what? Okay. And that's why, again, you read in Acts 17, you see the Apostle Paul translate it. And what happened there is he said, you guys have a, a, a place of bringing homage to an unknown God. I know who that God is. That was how he related. That's how he preached the gospel to them. As he found where eternity was already in their hearts and he met them there. Okay. He preached different to them, so it made sense. So what I want to say is there's a seed of the gospel that's really important. But the way the gospel is communicated to others can change from place to place, but not what the gospel is. And here's how Jesus explained the gospel, I think, translates into any place that you go. Because I think Jesus did it right. We always bring us back to Jesus. This is what he did. He said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Okay. This is, a, this is a destination. This is the entry point of where, of how we start a relationship with God. Come and follow me. That's relationship. And I will make you. Now, he was talking to fishermen when he said that. And so he used an analogy they could relate to. He didn't say to Levi, who changed his name to Matthew, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men because he wasn't talking to a fisherman then. So we need to understand, this is what Jesus said, come and follow me, and I will make you into something. I have a purpose, listen to this, 
I have a purpose for your life. You're not an accident. I have a reason for you. And you can find out why you were made by being with me. Let me be in charge of your life so that you can enter into the purpose you were made for. Trying to get to the kernel of this thing here with you. I I don't want you to hear me wrong. I'm not saying that sin is unimportant. I'm not saying that life after death is not important. But what I want to do is I want to provide, I want to provide a platform for somebody to stand on that God can work with. That's really easy. So here's what happened. If we don't get the platform right, then people are surprised by other things that God does. If I come in a relationship with God so he will do something for me, then I'm not coming to him to be transformed. I'm coming to get something from him. If I'm coming to God because I don't want to go to hell, and then God comes over and tells me, I want you to do this with your life, then some people won't hear it or they'll run from God because how could God tell me that? We even have people that would say, don't sell out and get serious for Jesus because if you do, he'll send you to Africa. I've been all over the world and I've heard almost every place I've gone, people have heard something like that. Have you guys? Come on, I'm on the other side of the world. This is ridiculous. Whoever said that was, race, was racist because the idea of it was if you're really on fire for God, then what he wants to do with your life is exactly the opposite of what you want to do. That's, the pla- that's what it means to serve God? Who's gonna do that? Who's, no wonder people don't wanna be on fire for God. They think as soon as they do, the proof of it is they do what they hate. All God really wants to do with your life is what you hate. That's how you can discover your calling. What do you despise and wish you would never do? Ha, that's what God dreams about. People believe that stuff and it's sad because maybe God's given you a new heart and a new mind. Maybe you have the mind of Christ and the things you dream about are the same things he does. Maybe he breaks your heart for the things that he does and you belong into the place that's stirring in your heart. And people are entering into the wrong callings because they've been told a lie. Can God call somebody to do something they want? Absolutely, but it's not the 11th commandment. We've got to break away from that kind of stuff and entering into a relationship with a loving father who's crazy about us. Jesus died for you because he didn't want to live without you. Has any, this is really important. So I'm going to tell you what I tell some people to give you, make this really practical. Because some of you are like, what am I supposed to say now? I knew how to tell them they're a sinner. Now what do I do? Has anybody ever told you that Jesus is absolutely crazy in love with you? I have, I've seen people start weeping just with that question. Or scoff, like, no. Because they've been told as God is angry with them. Okay, we're trying to build a good foundation. Has anybody, the second question I'd ask him, has anybody ever told you that he has a plan for your life? You're not an accident or a mistake. In the Bible, in the book of Acts, it says that he put people in places in hopes they would reach out to him at the time. So they're not an accident, they're not a a mistake. They're a pre-planned person that he loves and he wants. (laughs) Ha ha. 
You're not an accident or a mistake, and God has got a purpose for your life. No. I said, this, this is how it begins. You start entering into the purpose you were made for by giving your life to Jesus and asking him to be in charge of your life. If you confess Jesus as Lord, come and follow me. And he extended this to anyone where he said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The invitation to follow him is to anyone. What's it take? Asking him to be in charge. This Can God use the other foundations? If someone's in desperate need, you might need to focus on the goodness of God to help them out of that problem. God can work with that. But here's the thing. You want to make sure that people understand what you are doing is asking him to be in charge of your life. I'm saying those words on purpose because if I say Lord, they may not understand it as well, as easily. Okay? If I say confess Jesus as Lord, that's a little awkward terminology. It doesn't mean they can't understand it completely, but it's a little easier to understand is that you're asking Jesus to be in charge of your life. That gives him a platform to tell them what to do. It gives them, gives them a platform for God to have a purpose for their life, that you're beginning a journey to be transformed into who you are made to be. Because the, the gospel of the kingdom is big, guys. It touches every area of life. And because of that, it's hard to understand for some people, what do I focus on and how can I explain the gospel of the kingdom? It was easy when it was just the gospel of eternal life. I can just tell people, you're going to die one day. Are you ready for it? But now I'm told I'm supposed to talk about the gospel of the kingdom? Man, how do I get a, a, an unchurched person to understand that? I'm telling you. This is really simple. God's got a purpose for your life. And it begins with a relationship with him, asking him to be in charge of your life. When you do that, you're asking him to forgive you for everything you've done wrong in the past. And you're giving him your present and you're giving him your future. You see, the foundation of it is come, follow me. Come and be with me and follow my plan for your life because I've got a plan for you. I'm going to make you into something. What do you share with people? You share Jesus is Lord. He is a fulfillment of all the prophecies. He's, he's a living God. Here's the first, first person that got saved, in my opinion. I believe the first person that got saved was the thief hanging next to Jesus. Romans 10, 9 says, believe confess Jesus as Lord, believe God raised him from the dead, right? Thief next to Jesus says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He did two things there. He believed that Jesus had a kingdom, called him Lord. And he believed he would be alive to remember him in it. He believed that he would be raised from the dead. And then Jesus responded, today you will be with me in paradise. I believe the first person that got saved, in my opinion, is Jesus led him to himself. While Jesus is dying on the cross, he's robbing hell. How do you lead somebody to Jesus with the best foundation? You can't emphasize what somebody's going through. I'm not saying that there's nothing biblical. Sometimes you snatch somebody out of the fire. Please don't hear me wrong. I'm saying that the bulk, we've made those things the only way we do it. Doesn't mean they don't have a place. 
because it's a part of the gospel, eternal life, being forgiven of sins. Those do have their place. Life betterment, God does help people. Those do have their place. Don't hear me wrong. Uh, but I'm saying that we've made those how we're supposed to share the gospel when Jesus didn't. He didn't do that all the time. doesn't mean it's not there anywhere, but it does mean that the bulk of what he did was come and follow me. I've got a purpose for you. That's how he called people in a relationship with him. If you want to do it Jesus' way, that's your message. Has anybody ever told you God is crazy in love with you? He proved it with Jesus dying on the cross. How do I know you're worth dying for? Because somebody did. Has anybody ever told you why Jesus died for you? Yeah, because I'm a sinner. Maybe. But I would suggest to you, he died for you because he didn't want to live without you. We've got to change. We've got to, it doesn't mean that there's no truth in us, but we've got to come to people in a way where they can receive the truth. Jesus died for them because of who they are to him. It's kind of, I'm going to end here because I want to take a little, little break because I need to train you guys in some street evangelism. I just want to get the right message. Okay, If we don't have the right message, then our method doesn't matter because we can bring them to the point of the message and get it all wrong. Okay? It's kind of like martial arts. If you see those people break wood, wah, you know, go through the deal. Well, I've never done that before, but I have been told that if they focus on the wood, it doesn't work. So if you have, you have this, this wood piece and they're going to chop through it, if they focus here and it's a hard enough piece of wood and they swing their hand hard enough, they'll break their hand. What they actually do is mentally they focus down here. They're not hitting the wood. They're hitting this area right here in their head. And the wood is just in the way to where they're really going. That's how they mentally break wood. Now, I would like to suggest to you, sin is a big deal. Don't hear me belittle it, but we've made the cross about sin. I would suggest to you that the cross is about you, and sin was in the way. Jesus did what needed to happen to remove the barrier, to remove the block of wood, to remove what was between you and him. But he was not about sin. He's about people. He didn't die for you because you're a sinner. He died for you because you weren't created to be one. He broke through that sin barrier so he can come after you. Not as a threat, but as love. I have chosen you. I know sin is a big deal. I'm doing something about it. Come and follow me. You can be forgiven for everything you've done and enter into the life you were made for. So when I pray with someone and they say, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus, I make those the core things I pray through. Said, so getting right with God is talking to God and asking him to be in charge of your life. And this first time talking with God about getting right with him, I would like to help you. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to say a few words and I want you to repeat them after me, but it's not a magic formula and it only matters if you mean it. Can we pray? Absolutely. All right. And I might say something like, Father in heaven, and then I'll pause. Just say a few words. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to pause for our sake of our time, but I pause after every few words. I don't like hearing people lead people to Christ and they'd say this long prayer and you don't have time to follow what they're saying. So just say a few words.
and let them repeat it. So I might say something, Father in heaven, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for Jesus. I believe that Jesus came and he lived the perfect life and he died on the cross and that you raised him from the dead. I believe you have a purpose for my life and I want that purpose. I ask you to forgive me for anything I've done wrong. I give you my past. I give you my present. And I give you my future. I ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life, to be in charge so I can live the life I was made for. I ask you to teach me what it means to know you. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and be my best friend. Amen. I might pray with them something like that, in case you're wondering. Because what we've done is we've made Jesus Savior and tagged on Lord. And it actually needs to be the other way around. He didn't say, ask Jesus to be your Savior and he will be your Lord. He said, confess Jesus as your Lord and you will be saved. Yeah. We flipped it around and we've done it the other way. Where you're, This is actually the way the gospel is presented to people these days. Ask Jesus to be your Savior, to come into your heart and be your Savior. And then out of appreciation for what he's done for your life, then give him the rest of your life as your Lord. That's how the gospel is presented. And I'm telling you, it's backwards. We need to ask Jesus to be our Lord because salvation begins now and he will become our Savior. If he's your Lord, you'll enter into his kingdom. But Jesus said, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, only those who did what my Father said. In other words, those who actually surrendered their life for me to be in charge of their life where I can tell them what to do. If he's not your Lord, he's not your Lord. You can say the words all you want. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not talking about an effort-based Christianity, but I'm talking about there's one person on the throne of your heart and it needs to be him. That's what I'm talking about. The starting place of the gospel is Jesus is Lord. He's not my sugar daddy. He's, he's not my savior from hell, even though he is, even though he does bless us. Hear me. He does do those things. He's amazing. But the starting place for the best foundation is Jesus is Lord. All right. You guys have survived the first session. Let's do about, can you guys handle a 10-minute break? And we got some drinks back there. Go take care of bathroom stuff. Do that. And then we're going to get into another part in Matthew chapter 10. Thank you. Thank you.